Like Pastor uh, Elliot said, we're going to continue in Ephesians tonight. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12. Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. Let's read it together. It says this. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. That's our passage tonight. With that, let's pray. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity and... um, We talk about these gifts that you gave us. You said you've given gifts to men and women. We want to thank you for the gifts of our our pastors that we're going to talk about tonight, the the spiritual gifts that you've given each of us, those of us that have put their faith in you, and how we can appropriate those gifts to build up the body of Christ, of which you're the head, God. So we glorify you for that. We ask you to teach us tonight your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, look back again at verses 7 and 8. I just want to read that again. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. It says he ascended on high. Maybe you're new, not only new to thrive, maybe you're new to the Bible and you're thinking, what does that mean? He ascended on high. Well, as you, as you, I'm sure you do know, Jesus was crucified. We celebrate that every Good Friday. Then he was in the grave for three days. Then he was resurrected. We celebrate that every Easter. But maybe something you don't know if you're new to the, to the Bible is after he was resurrect, re, resurrected, he spent 40 more days here on earth. 40 more days. He was seen by over 500 people. But then at the end of the 40 days, Acts 1.9, you can just jot that down. Acts 1.9 tells us that as his disciples were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. That's what it means when it says he ascended on high. And you think, where is he now? Well, he's in heaven, and he's going to return one day. And you can look that up in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So that's what it means. He ascended on high. But our passage there in Ephesians 4, 8 says that when he ascended, he did two things. It says, one, he led a host of captives. And it says, two, he gave gifts to men. We're going to come back to number two, that he gave gifts to men a little bit later. But what does it mean when it says he led a host of captives? You know, theologians and and Christians from every generation for hundreds of years have debated about the identity of these captives. Who exactly are these guys? But tonight, I want to settle it for you once and for all. There's no more questions. We're going to settle it right now. Everybody ready? Drum roll, please. We got drums? No drums? Drum roll, please. Got it right here. Oh, anticlimactic. Nobody can say it with certainty, right? We don't know exactly who these captives are. Matter of fact, you got great Bible commentators with opposing views, and we have these Bible commentators in our bookstore, right? For example, one of them says this. One commentator says, well, the best explanation for the identity of these hostile warriors that Christ has defeated is the demonic principalities, powers, and authorities. This commentator thinks they're bad guys, these captives. Christ has got them chained up, and he's, he's leading them, right? captives. Another great Bible commentator that you would respect said this. 
He thinks it's talking about believers, and he says these people, these believers were, so to speak, in Jesus' triumphant procession. They were captives in his train, chained, as it were, to his chariot. Kind of like the Kansas City Royals just had a parade, right? They won the World Series, parade down the streets of Kansas City. You got Coach Yost out in front, and you got the rest of the team kind of parading along behind him. Some commentators think it's that. What I would challenge you to do is be a good Berean and study your Bible, and you're going to need to determine for yourself who you think these captives are. And while you're at it, as far as difficult passages, just, you need to go no further than the next verse. Verse 9 says this. It says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? <laughs> you go, wow, back to back, what does that mean? Again, there are varying views on this from good, solid Bible teachers, good Bible scholars, good commentators. Some believe this dissension refers to a descent of Christ to the underworld, to Hades, where he preached to the captives in Hades. Others believe it just simply refers to the incarnation of Christ. He's been in heaven for all eternity, and he became a baby in a manger at Christmas time, and that's what it means when he says he descended, came to earth. So do your research, and whatever you decide biblically, just know that you're in good company. There's good, solid Bible teachers on both sides of the aisle. So verse 8 and 9, difficult passage. But there's one part of that passage that we can say with certainty. Verse 8 says this, says, he gave gifts to men. It also includes women. He gave gifts to men and women. The Greek word is anthropoi, which means both, both genders. He gave gifts to men and women. Paul's even going to tell us what some of these gifts are. Look at verse 11. As we move down, verse 11 says, and he gave, here's some of those gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Some of the gifts he gave. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the shepherds, teachers, actually, although they're split up there, should be one. It should be shepherds, hyphen, teachers, kind of like student, athlete. You're a student, you're an athlete, but you're a student, athlete. You're a shepherd, you're a teacher, you're a shepherd, teacher. And although all of these offices were gifts to the church, the first two, apostles and prophets, were foundational gifts to the church. These offices, we'll put them up here on the screen. This is what Ephesians 2.20 says. We are just in Ephesians 2 about a month ago. Let's read that together. So then, it's talking about the body of Christ, the unity between Jews, Jewish believers, and, and, and Gentile believers. And it says this, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. These offices, apostle and prophet, they're no longer functioning today. Maybe you come from a church background, the way you were brought up, and you were taught maybe they're in your church, you had modern-day apostles and you had modern-day prophets. At least that was their title. Maybe that's what you're taught, but the Bible's very clear that although there are modern-day false apostles and there's modern-day false prophets, but there are no modern-day true apostles and true prophets, true prophets. If you want the qualifications for a true apostle, 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Go and write that down. You can look it up later. That's the qualification for a true apostle. So my advice to you, if you meet someone today who tells you that he's an apostle and you need to listen to him or he's a prophet and you need to listen to what he says, especially if he says, I need, you need to listen to me over scripture, my word's authoritative, you need to run fast as you can. But the other gifts, 
God's given to the church. Evangelists and shepherds te- shepherd teachers, those are gifts, those are offices that are still in effect today. Matter of fact, let's talk about the evangelist first. The word evangelist just simply means a bringer of good tidings, a bringer of good news. I thought I'd make a list of famous evangelists. You'll know pretty much all of these. First, uh, there's a biblical one in Acts 21.8. Philip was called Philip the Evangelist. What a great thing to be known by. Philip, the bringer of good tidings. Good guy. One at the, the turn of last century, a guy named Billy Sunday. Anybody heard of Billy Sunday? Late 1800s, early 1900s. He was actually a professional baseball player turned evangelist. But without the modern-day equipment that we have for voice amplification and for radio and television, without all that, he was able to preach to over 100 million people face-to-face, standing up on a, on a platform. Amazing. Billy Sunday. Dwight L. Moody. Our own pastor, Pastor Mike, attended Moody Bible Institute back in Chicago. Famous evangelist. Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Everybody knows Billy Graham, right? He's, his birthday, he's turning 97 on Saturday, November 7th. He's going to turn 97 years old. He's preached because he's had the use of modern-day technology, radio, television, and whatnot. He has preached to over 2.2 billion people, or nearly one-third of the world's population. He's brought good tidings. And then finally, at least on my list, is Ray Comfort. You know Ray Comfort maybe from his work with Way of the Master, um, with uh, Kirk Cameron. He's spoken here at Compass Bible Church several times. Not recently, but in the past, he's spoken at Compass many, many times. He's been a great guy to listen to. So those are some modern-day evangelists. But tonight, I want you to realize there's an evangelist in this room right now that you know better than any of these men that I just mentioned. If you think, wow, you're looking around, who is it? It's you. It's you. Look up here on the screen. Paul was talking to his young protege, Timothy, and he wrote this, 2 Timothy 4, 5. There it is. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, be a bringer of good tidings, of good news to people, fulfill your ministry. Paul would say the same thing to you and I, do the work of an evangelist. My question is, are you doing that? And right here is where you throw a flag on the play and you say, wait, time out, time out. You mentioned Billy Sunday preaching to over 100 million people face-to-face. I can't even talk in front of 10 people. I don't like talking in public. I'm not going to do that. We talked about Ray Comfort, and I've seen some of his videos and his open-air evangelism that he's done at the mall, and I saw one where he's down, I think, the Santa Monica Pier, and, you know, to be honest, Scott, I'm just not, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not Ray comfortable with that, right? It's just not my thing. <clears throat> While I understand all that, what about the gal that sits in the cubicle next to you at work? Have you brought her any good tidings? How about the parents on your kids' soccer or baseball teams, or in my case, football team? Talk to any of those parents? Evangelize them? Ladies, what about the, the gals that you do your park days with? Heather and I went up for a walk the other day, and we walked to the park with our little one. We saw some of the gals here from Compass, from Thrive. And there's some, some believing ladies sitting with some non-believing ladies. What a great opportunity to create opportunities to share the gospel. Your park days. Guys, what about the other guys at the gym or maybe that you go mountain bike riding with? Speaking of captives, that's a good captive audience, right? You're out on a mountain bike ride or you're working out at the gym. What a great, great time to share the gospel. We've got 
the forgotten holiday coming up, Thanksgiving, right? Coming up at the end of the month. I know this is hard, but you're going to have family all around the table, chances are. And I know how hard family is. That's a tough nut to crack, is it not? But pray for opportunities to share the gospel, to be a bringer of good tidings to your own family, lest they perish. So do the work of an evangelist. 2 Corinthians 5.20, you can just jot it down. I just said what it says. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you, Mr. and Mrs. Nonbeliever, on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Make things right with God. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, Christ, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Your account can be made right with God. That's a great message. You and I are ambassadors. Do the work of an evangelist. That's the first office. That's a gift from God. The second is that God's given the church. The second gift is uh, that of shepherds hyphen teachers, better known as our pastors. And we know that our pastors do the second part. We know that they teach, but did you know that they also shepherd? And if you think about a literal shepherd, what do literal shepherds do? They care for their sheep. And we got that here at Compass Bible Church. For example, you're going through a marriage crisis, Our pastors will sit down with you and they will counsel you and your spouse biblically to help you through your crisis. Need prayer? Our pastors will not only gladly pray for you, but then they'll follow up to find out how God answered that prayer in your life. Got some other crisis going on in your life? They'll meet your need. I think about years ago, Pastor Mike, uh, this this one I barely even knew him, there was a fire behind her house, not literally right behind her house, but in the wildland area behind her house. We live over Mission Viejo. And I get a, this is before cell phones were real popular, I get a uh, phone call, my home phone, and it's Pastor Mike. He said, hey, I heard there was a fire over behind your house. I just calling to check in on you guys and make sure you're okay. That's the kind of shepherds we have here at Compass Bible Church. And then finally, good shepherds, they care for their sheep by feeding them. I think we'd all agree that our pastors have done a great job of feeding us the word of God week in and week out. We've all been the beneficiary of that. And you know what? Having, having good shepherds, at least in God's economy, is so important that he, that he says this. I got a couple verses put up here on the screen. It says this, says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. To esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Got another verse, 1 Timothy 5.17. Along the same line says this. It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And I go, I really mean double honor, can it? So I looked it up in the Greek, and the word double honor means double honor, twice as much. So we're to give our pastors twice as much honor as you would give the next guy. Esteem them very highly loved, worthy of double honor. But what does that look like practically? How can we do that with our shepherd teachers? Well, one way you can honor our pastors is by encouraging them. You know, not every correspondence they get is encouraging. A lot of it's discouraging, right? But we don't want to be those people that discourage our pastors. We want to be those that come alongside of them to encourage them. And so maybe you've done that. Maybe you go up to Pastor Mike after a Saturday night service or a Sunday morning service, and you say, hey, great sermon, Pastor Mike. That's good. That's good. Or maybe you tell Pastor Ben, hey, that was an awesome song set today, Pastor Ben. Great job. 
Pastor Elliot, hey, great teaching, Pastor E. I'm not minimizing any of that. That's all good. It's all important. But you know what would mean even more to them? It was if you would sit down and maybe write something a little more heartfelt, a little more lengthy, and tell them exactly what they meant to you. So to make that easier for you, try to make it real practical. I know it's a lot to write down, so maybe you could just take out your phone and take a snapshot of that. Or you could look these up. They all have Facebook accounts. They have email addresses, Twitter accounts, church phone numbers up there. You could uh, just write them a, a letter or a card. Snail mail, old school. Maybe you could, instead of just saying, hey, Pastor Mike, that's a great sermon, maybe you could uh, write Pastor Mike and tell him how much you appreciate his Bible teaching and how you've grown spiritually as you've sat under his teaching for the last few months or last few years. That'd mean a lot to him. Way to show him double honor. Way to esteem him very highly. Maybe you tell Pastor Elliot. Where's Pastor Elliot? He's probably counseling. That's my point. He's a shepherd, right? <laughs> he probably is. I'm serious. Tell him how much you appreciate not only him being a great Bible teacher, but how he is a great shepherd. He sits in our small groups with us. He comes to our accountability. He takes time to counsel us when necessary. He's a great shepherd. Maybe if you have high schoolers, contact Pastor Mark. Um, Pastor Elliot mentioned um, Seth, my son's football game today. Pastor Elliot and Pastor Mark were both at my son's football game. Because he's a high school pastor, and, it, and Seth's a high schooler. Came to his game to watch him. Pastor Elliot came just through an invite. Those are the kind of shepherds we have here at Compass Bible Church. Or, um, you appreciate the administration of the church. He talked to maybe encourage Pastor uh, Lucas or Pastor Pete mean a lot to those guys. So esteem our pastors very highly and honor them doubly. I put it this way on our outline. We need to realize that our pastors are a gift from God. And then go even so far and to treat them accordingly. They're a gift from God. We need to treat them accordingly. Maybe you go to a different church and you come to Thrive on Thursday nights because you don't have a marriage ministry at your church and we welcome you. We're glad you're here. But same applies to you. If you uh, are under another pastor's leadership, I would encourage you to encourage them. You go home, find out what your pastor's email address is, if you don't know it already, and his Twitter account and his Facebook. Maybe write them a letter and encourage your pastor, your shepherd. Very, very important. These are gifts from God. All right, let's look back at our passage. Look at verse 11 again. Already mentioned he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. But for what reason? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's what the pastor's job is. That's his responsibility, equipping the saints. But before we go any further, let's define saint. Because maybe you came from a, a Catholic background and, and saints are, are people that you prayed to. Or maybe they're... You know, you had their image on a medallion that you hung around your neck, or maybe you had a statue of them. But saint in the Bible, all those, those guys are saints. Saint Luke, Saint Thomas, Saint Paul, Saint Peter, Saint Timothy, those are saints, but they're not saints because they have their own statue. They're saints because they're born again by the Spirit of God. And in the same way, if you're born again, then you're a saint. So we need to start thinking like that. You got Saint Chiara, Saint Ryan, you know, St. Megan, St. Ben, St. Scott, right? St. Adam back there is going like this. Come on, call me out. St. Adam. <clears throat> that's how we need to think. So that's who he's writing to. That's, that's who our pastors are equipping, us, saints. 
But if we're both saints, and it's the pastor's job to equip us for the work of ministry, I can't help but hear those words, work of ministry, without thinking about my own job. I mentioned earlier that I work as a firefighter um, up in West Covina, West Covina Fire Department. And the city that I work for and the chief that I've worked for, they have equipped me and our department very well to do the work of a firefighter. Super cool. I remember when I was a kid, you know, you look at firemen, you see the, the engine going down the street, it's cool. Well, guess what they've provided me with, how they've equipped me. I got my very own shiny red fire engine. It's awesome, half a million dollars, and I get a ride in it. You know what I mean? Lights and siren, whole thing. So cool. <laughs> it's cool. It really is. It never gets old to me. But that engine, that engine has a full complement of, of ladders and hoses with nozzles on the end of it. Well-equipped. We've got a lot of axes on the fire engine. If you ever need us to get in your house, we call it the universal key because if you need your door open, we'll open your door. I promise you we'll open your door for you. Personally, I have a helmet. I have a breathing apparatus, a tank that I wear on my back. I have a mask. I have boots, and I have the gear we wear called turnout gear. I've been very well equipped. I have everything I need to do the work of a firefighter. But can you imagine, I arrive at a structure fire like one we had just a couple weeks ago, a two-story apartment fire with fire flames blowing out the second floor window. And in this case, right when we pull up, they're screaming, there's a dog and a cat in there, you need to save them. We were able to save one, but not the other. Guess which one we saved? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, we saved the cat. <laughs> Not by choice. The dog was just already dead. That's all. I'd rather just let him burn, but don't. I'm just kidding, cat lovers. Just kidding, kind of. Sort of. Oh, but anyway, but can you imagine we arrive at this fire fully equipped, but as the fire rages, I stand there and do nothing and just watch it burn. That'd be unacceptable. It'd be unacceptable to the citizens that I'm sworn to protect. It'd be unacceptable to my fellow firefighters who they're hard at work while I watch. It'd be unacceptable to my fire chief, my boss, who I'm supposed to be serving. Thankfully, that's not how it works in the fire service. <clears throat> like I said, I've been there for 25 years. I tell you this, guys are eager to go to work at a fire scene. For example, at that fire scene, the one I mentioned from a couple weeks ago, we get there, um, it was on Cameron, so we, we named the incident, we call it Cameron Command. And you have an incident commander. The first captain at scene is the commander. He's the incident commander, Cameron Command. And it went like this. Cameron Command, Engine 3, we're at scene. Do you have an assignment? A couple minutes later, Camera command, truck two, we're at scene. You have an assignment. A couple more minutes go by. Camera command, rescue four, we're at scene. Do you have an assignment? And so on and so on and so on until every piece of apparatus and every man there is being utilized for the good of the organization and for putting the fire out. And then not only that, when the crews are done with their initial assignment, guess what they do? They come back and they ask for another assignment. They say, camera command, we've completed our assignment. Do you have another assignment? Never been a fire in the 25 years that I've been there that hasn't gone exactly like that. Guys are eager to work. 
But it's one thing to be equipped like that in your chosen profession. How much more important when we're equipped to do the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ, as our passage tonight says. You know, we mentioned earlier we've been given a, here at Compass a great pastoral staff. And, and, and in the same way that I mentioned my fire department has equipped me, our pastors, our shepherds, teachers, they've equipped us so well to do the work of ministry. And so my question for you tonight is, are you doing the work of ministry? So, I don't know if you've been through the partners program, but I was taking a guy through the partners program just a couple years ago. We got to partners chapter 8, which is titled, Getting Actively Involved in Serving Your Church. And I asked him, I looked across the table at him, we're at coffee, at Pete, Pete, is it Pete's Coffee? Something called Pete's Coffee? Something like that, Pete's Coffee. And I looked across the table and I said, hey, how long have you been a believer? And he said, five years. So cool. I said, how long have you been going to Compass Bible Church? I've been sitting under good Bible teaching. He said, also five years. I said, good. I said, what are you doing as far as work of ministry to build up the body of Christ? And he looked across the table at me and sheepishly said, nothing. I said, you've never done anything? He said, nope. Gosh, we read in our passage tonight that when Jesus ascended, it said he gave gifts to men. And when it comes to doing the work of ministry, God's given each of us a gift to be used to serve his body. Look up here on the screen again, 1 Peter 4.10 says this, it says, as each has received a gift. So if you're a believer tonight, you've received a gift or maybe even gifts, plural. Use it or use them to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Each has received a gift. What's your gift or what's your gifts? Then use it to serve one another. Are you using your gifts to serve others? Right now you're calling, time out, time out. I'd love to serve others. I just don't know what my gift is. And if that's you, I got good news. Tonight in our small groups, we're going to help you identify what your gift or gifts might be and get you plugged in to doing the work of ministry. But if you're thinking, you know what, Scott, this all sounds, uh, this using my gifts to serve others thing, to me that sounds like varsity Christianity, you know, advanced. This isn't Christianity 101. It's advanced and it's varsity. And to be honest with you, I'm just happy to be on the team. I know this isn't a salvation issue, so just give me the uniform. I'll stand on the sidelines. I'm fine. You know, even though I've been equipped to work, I'm just going to stand around and watch everything burn while others serve. Not only is that shameful for someone who professes to know Christ, if that's you, I want to warn you here tonight. I want, as the Bible says, admonish you. That one day you're going to give an account of yourself to God at the Bema seat. Write this down, Romans 14, verses 10 through 12. It says, everyone will give an account of himself or herself to God. And how much remorse will you have as you see Jesus face to face? And it's just going to be one-on-one. There's not going to be other people in the room with you. It's one-on-one and you're staring Jesus face to face. And this is reality. This is really going to happen. And you have to tell him that you wasted the gifts that he gave you. But good news is on the flip side, how proud will you be if you begin to use the gifts that God's given you to build up his body, of which he's the head, and you stand there before Christ and he looks at you and you hear the words, well done, good and faithful 
servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. So I'll put it this way, number two on your outline. Eagerly, just like I talked about the fire guys when they get to a fire scene, eagerly use your gifts to serve the body. God, I'm at scene. Do you have an assignment? Where do you want to use me, God? God, I've completed that assignment. Do you have something else? Awesome. Eagerly use your gifts to serve the body. And then I want to touch one, one last thing because I've heard this a lot. Um, we'll just close with this. I've heard this several times from several different people. A lot of people say, you know what, Scott, I really don't, the whole work of ministry thing, that's not really for me as far as, you know, using my gifts to, to serve one another in the body of Christ because, you know what, my family's my ministry. Anybody ever heard that? You don't have to show me your hands, but anybody ever heard somebody say that? that that's who I'm going to minister to, my family. I'm not minimizing ministering to your family. You should minister to your family. And the Bible says if you don't, you're worse than an infidel. You should be doing that. But I would say this. It's a, it's a ministry, but it shouldn't be your only ministry. Think about just practically how that works out, just even here tonight in Thrive. Can you imagine if Jeremiah, who leads our technology team back there and puts all this stuff up on the screen and gets here early to do this, can you imagine say, you know what, I don't have time to do technology. I don't have time to use my gifts to serve the body because you know what, my family's my ministry. I hope you enjoyed the food tonight. Can you imagine if the Cornishes said, I don't have time to get there and prepare food. Cornishes and their team. I don't have time to help out with that. Make sure everybody has a full tummy. Because you know what? We got kids, man. They're our ministry. Pastor Elliot, uh, Ryan Holly, Mike Schrader. You know what? Yeah, I've been given the gift of teaching, but I can't use it. We've got families to take care of. And it goes on and on and on and on down the line. So like I said, I'm not minimizing that. Please minister to your family but that doesn't excuse you from using the varied gifts that God's given you to serve his body. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much again for tonight and for uh, teaching us through this passage. And God, we do want to do what you've asked us to do. And let's be thankful for the gifts you've given us in, in evangelists and in shepherds, teachers. And uh, we may not know too many evangelists personally, but we know a lot of shepherds and teachers, uh, pastors right here at our church. And we pray that we would show them double honor. We pray that we esteem them highly in love. And then, God, you've gifted us. We know that. You told us that in 1 Peter chapter 4 and in other passages, Ephesians 4 tonight. We don't want to stand before you, God, at the beam of seat judgment and be ashamed because we didn't appropriate the gifts that you've given us to serve your body, God. We know you love the church. You love your people. And you want everybody to do their part to build it up. So we pray you'd help us to do that tonight. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you, guys. <clears throat>